Okay, let's start with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Fathers, we come to you. We thank you once again for being with us this day. We thank you, Lord, for the Thanksgiving season that we have been able to observe. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to be thankful for all of our blessings every day of the year, not just on the fourth Thursday of November. We pray, Lord, that you would be with us as we go into Micah and as we study this that we would be able to apply it to our lives. We ask this in your precious name. Amen. Okay, the study of Micah. Uh, I have never taught one of the uh, minor prophets in the entire minor prophet time. Many years ago, I taught the minor prophets for a quarter. I went through my notes, and I spent one day one Sunday on Micah. So we're going to have to amplify that quite a bit. Uh, when I started this, somebody said, well, you'll be able to teach a quarter off of Micah. I'm not sure that I'm going to be able to stretch this into 12 or 13 Sundays. So we'll go as far as we can. And uh, uh, Ryan is ready to tag team with me whenever I get done, right? <laughs> okay. So anyway, all of the other things that I have taught, basically, have been books where things are going someplace. Uh, Genesis, you have a long narrative, a long story. There's a lot of stories in Genesis, and you're continuing on. Joshua, you're talking about the capture of, the, of, of uh, Palestine as the Jews went on into Palestine. And so we continued on with that, and so we were going someplace. Teaching through the Gospels, this is basically a story of Jesus' life and how he progressed through the time that he was here on earth. Micah is not like that. Micah is uh, one spot and preaching to the children of Israel. And so it is quite different from some of the other things that I've taught through. I want to put a little bit of context to this, and I know that we have talked about this, so on. I hope you're not getting tired of this, but I just want to review. This is the area of Israel, where Israel is now. Uh, and so anyway, this is the Assyrian Empire. And uh, as Grant was teaching, he was talking about the Syrian and the Assyrian. Okay, this is the Assyrian Empire that we're talking about. Syria is just this little area to the north of Israel. You have Syria, you have Jordan, Israel, and Egypt. But Assyria, this was the king that was in charge when uh, Micah was writing his particular uh, book. So then we go on to the Holy Land as it was during the time of Christ. And so, okay, so here we have the city of Jerusalem, and this is Judea, and so this is the southern kingdom, and the southern kingdom went through about from here and then on down, Jerusalem was the capital of the southern kingdom. Then the northern kingdom, this is the area of Samaria, Galilee is just the area around the Sea of Galilee, but in Samaria, we had the city of Samaria, which was one of the capitals there. 
Then there was also the city of Dan, which was up in this area. And Dan was established as by, remember that we had the, the three kings, <clears throat> there was Saul, and then there was David and Solomon. And after Solomon's time, the land of Israel was split up into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Well, because of convenience, the king of the north, uh, Rehoboam, he decided that it was too much trouble for these people to go all the way down to Jerusalem to worship. So he established this place up here at Dan. And so they had the place at Dan, and they had the place at Samaria where they could worship. But God had, de- had commanded them to worship at Jerusalem. This was the place where they were supposed to be worshiping. Now we see... Just a little bit, this is the land as it's today. This is what we have of of Israel today. So this is Israel, the entire area here from the Jordan River, and then on down there's a little kind of a river going down to the sea at this place. And uh, so they have, we hear much about Gaza, Gaza is this small area right in here where the fighting is going on. And then this area is called the West Bank. Now the Jews don't really go into Gaza much if they can help it. If you go into into Gaza and they capture you, the Israeli army is not going to come and get you out necessarily. They might, but they don't have to. The West Bank over here is still Palestinian controlled, but it's much easier to travel through this. When we went to Israel, we traveled on up here around the Sea of Galilee, then we came on down and we would come through the West Bank area. And so there were checkpoints, but there wasn't any problem going on through there. Gaza, it's a little different situation. There are some areas here from the West Bank. You have Jerusalem, and then there is Bethany, which is right over in this area. Uh, wait a bit. There's, there's Jerusalem, I'm sorry. And then Bethany is over in this area, and uh, we never went from Jerusalem to Bethany because of the fact that that was controlled by the, uh, by the Palestinians. And so there was a little bit of a problem there. So anyway, that gets us just a little bit of where we're at. Most of the area that we're going to be talking about is going to be this area here. Uh, You have the seacoast of uh, Israel. Then there is the highland area of Israel. This is uh, hilly, mountainous, depending upon... If you come from the east coast, these mountains, if you come from the west, they're just big hills. So anyway... Uh, we have the mountain area, and then there's this area called the Shephelah. And the Shephelah is an area, it's kind of between the mountains and the plains, and there's a lot of small towns in this area. Uh, it's pretty much rural sheep country, uh, farming country. There's some uh, fig date uh, groves, bananas, coffee, things like this. But most of what uh, Micah is talking about relates to the area of the Shephelah. Okay, these are the prophets that were prophesying during the time of uh, Micah. Uh, Hosea 
was prophesying at this time, but he prophesied mostly to Samaria. So Samaria would be the northern part of Palestine. So he prophesied there and told them that they were going to be destroyed if they did not uh, change their ways. We had Amos also. Amos actually came from south of Jerusalem, but again, he prophesied to the area north of Jerusalem. He prophesied to Samaria. Amos was the sheep herder, or not a sheep herder, a sheep farmer. He was probably a fairly wealthy farmer, and he had sheep and figs. But he wrote the book of Amos mostly to Samaria. Isaiah was the major prophet during this time. He prophesied for a longer period of time, and he prophesied to Judah, which would be the southern kingdom, and Micah prophesied at the same time as Isaiah. Micah prophesied probably more from a rural standpoint. He probably he came from a small town, and so he probably prophesied from a to the uh, rural area. During his prophecy, this is when Sennacherib captured Israel, and I'll show a little bit more about that. But anyway, his message was that they were supposed to repent and obey God. And he actually goes through this three separate times in the book of Micah. Okay, the kings, and we're only looking at the kings of the southern kingdom, the, king, the northern kingdom disappeared during this time. But the kings that we have, and we're not going through all of the kings. Oh, this will be on the test next Sunday, all right? Uh, so anyway, Uzziah, or also called Azariah, is basically a good king. After him was Jotham. He was also pretty much a good king. And then we had Ahaz or also called Jehoaz, he was bad. He tried to make an alliance with Assyria. Okay, now, so Assyria is that great big area that I showed in that first slide. And so he tried to make an alliance with them because he was concerned about Egypt. Egypt down to the south was doing some rumbling and so on, and so he wanted to uh, go in with, with the northern kingdom. Then we have Hezekiah, who came after Ahaz. He was a good king. He brought about many reforms. And Sennacherib, the king of Assyria at this time, was putting a lot of pressure on him. Now, what's the one thing that you remember about Hezekiah, probably over everything else? The tunnel, right. Hezekiah's tunnel. Some of you have hit your head on that tunnel many times before you get through there. <laughs> if you're taller than about 5'5", five, five, you have to go like this the whole time with your baseball cap backwards, and you still hit your head on the tunnels. But anyway, Hezekiah is the king that he put in this tunnel because the spring where the city of Jerusalem was getting their water was outside the walls. And so if the Assyrians captured that, they would, Jerusalem wouldn't have any water. So he put this amazing tunnel through there, brought it on in, comes out into the Pool of Siloam, and uh, 
this, uh, is it the pool? I always get those two mixed up. Yeah, Pool of Siloam. And this is where it comes on out. And this was where now the people of Jerusalem were able to get their water, even if King Sennacherib was going to completely surround the city. Then we also had Manasseh. Manasseh was bad, but he kind of had a foxhole conversion, which was a conversion right at the end of his uh, period of time. And so he, uh, he actually tried to do good at the end, but there was a lot of evil that had occurred before this. Okay, these are the foreign rulers during the time that Micah was writing. Sennacherib was a ruler of, Assy- of Assyria. Okay, he built, uh, Hezekiah built the tunnel during this time, and uh, Sennacherib's army was defeated outside the walls of Jerusalem, and the story of that is in 2 Kings. Okay, 2 Kings. No, if I was an experienced teacher, I would have had this all arranged. Second Kings chapter 19. And verse 35, and that night the angel of the Lord, and uh, they were concerned. I mean, there was a, a whole army around the city of Jerusalem. And that night the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Syrians. And when the people arose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. Now, the King James is just a little bit different about this in that the King James says, and when they awoke, they were all dead men. Uh, and so you have a little problem there with the pronouns as to who the pronouns are uh, talking to about. But this is the story that we have of Sennacherib army being defeated. When they arose in the morning, they were all dead corpses. That's the King James Version. Then we had Nebuchadnezzar, who came in after Sennacherib. Nebuchadnezzar was the ruler of Babylon, and he took over. He defeated Sennacherib, and he took over from that time, and he's the one that destroyed the temple in 586. Now, this was the temple in Jerusalem. Then the individuals, the Jewish people, many of the Jewish people were brought into uh, Babylon and uh, lived there, and they lived there for 70 years. And then Cyrus, who was the ruler of Persia, came in and he defeated Nebuchadnezzar, and uh, then he allowed, in fact, he encouraged the Jews to go back to their own country. And so the Jews were able to go back to Jerusalem And this is when the story of Ezra and Nehemiah, we taught through that um, probably a couple years ago, Ezra and Nehemiah coming in, and they rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. They rebuilt the temple, and the temple that they built was not anything like the temple that Solomon had built. And many of the individuals were rather uh, dismayed. They were discouraged by the size of the temple that uh, was built after they came back. So now we get to Micah. 
Any questions on that? Totally confused, or you got some idea of where we're going now? <clears throat> okay, we have Micah. Micah's hometown was Mersheth Gath, and uh, that was one of the, it's a little bit south of Bethlehem. Oh, we won't worry about that. A little bit south of Bethlehem, and uh, so this is in the Shephelah area, this um, transition between the mountains and the plains. Uh, it uh, wasn't a very big town. There's probably not anything left of it now. There's very little personal information of that Micah gives. He emphasizes Yahweh. He emphasizes God. So he emphasizes the message rather than the messenger. And so we see this. And there's three cycles of doom to hope that we have in the whole book of, of Micah. Chapter 1, verse 1, is just the introduction. Then we have, starting with verse 2, it starts out with here. And the three sections of Micah, each one starts out with here. So Micah has a new message that he is going to give, or a continuation of this message. And so he starts this. And so he starts out with doom to hope. Then in chapter 3, verse 1, again, we have the same thing. It starts out with here, and it goes from doom to hope. Then in chapter 6, verse 1, we have the third time that he goes through this cycle of doom to hope. And the doom, what's going to happen to the land of Judah, which is the southern kingdom, and he points out to See what happened to the northern kingdom? This is something that's going to happen here. He divided it into the sins of the people, the punishment of God, and promises hope for the faithful. Now, one of the things, and I have to strictly go by uh, what other people say here, is they say the grammar of the book is somewhat disjointed. He mixes masculine and feminine pronouns and masculine feminine endings to the words, um, and so he kind of jumps around from place to place, and we're not sure of whether his book is just little snippets of things that he talked about at different times and different places as he was prophesying, uh, or exactly what the, the message was here. Uh, a little bit later on, we'll get to two verses in Micah, and one of the commentaries that I have says that there is a commentary out there that has devoted 40 pages to those two verses. Uh, we will not go into that depth. So anyway, uh, there, there are some problems with interpreting Micah because of this disjointedness. But one of the things that he does is that he emphasizes the, uh, what God hates and the joy it brings when repentance is realized. Okay, I'm going to read the first seven verses of chapter 1, and I want you to just kind of just think or follow through on this. Oh, I... I do need to sit down every once in a while, and I will not get down and sit up 
or sit down and get up as often as Chuck Kirchhoff did when he was teaching. Uh, so anyway, I, I want you to just to follow through the general tenor or the, the mood and the, uh, the way in which these first seven uh, verses go. Hear, you peoples, all of you, pay attention, O earth, and all that is in it, and let the Lord God be a witness unto you, the Lord from his holy temple. For behold, the Lord is coming out of his place and will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth, and the mountains will melt under him, and the valleys will split open like wax before the fire, like waters poured down a steep place. All of this is the transgression of Jacob and for the sins of the house of Israel. Transgression of Jacob is talking about the northern kingdom and the sins of the house of Israel. What is the transgression of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? And what is the high place of Judah? Is it not Jerusalem? So Judah would be the southern kingdom, Jerusalem would be its capital. Therefore, I will make Samaria a heap in the open country, a place for planting vineyards, and I will pour down her stones into the valley and uncover her foundations. All her carved images shall be beaten to pieces, all her wages shall be burned with fire, and all her idols I will lay waste, and from the fee of a prostitute she gathered them, and to the fee of a prostitute they shall return. Okay, what is the general tone of this particular portion of Scripture? Anyone? Grant. Okay. Dan, did you? <coughs> Destruction. Okay. Destruction. Uh, yes. Eric. Okay. The actual consequences. The natural consequences. Okay. Uh, you will have, my hearing is pretty bad, and it's not getting any better. Uh, so anyway, I, I blame it on my ranching background, sitting on a tractor without a muffler on it for days on end sometimes. So anyway, um, I'll ask you to repeat something. So we see this. Any other things that we see from this? All right. So when you talk about wages, this is something that hopefully you have earned, and so this is something that you've gotten because of something that you did, all right? God is talking about the wages here, and again, this is something that the people have earned because of the way that they have, uh, they have lived. Any other things that we see? Yes. Okay, we have God's involvement in all of this. And so I will repeat the answers from just about everybody that talks so that the people at the back of the room are able to hear. I don't always have to translate Grant's uh, responses. So, <laughs> Okay, any other things that we see? I think we see something here that God's rulership, and what he says goes. Uh, this is not a kind, loving suggestion of what's going to happen. This is more a 
aspect of, you know, you, you have brought this about, you're saying you've brought this on yourself. I think about this, and one of the things that I'm trying to do is I'm trying to bring Micah to the, our 21st century, and what are things that we can learn from Micah, what he is talking about. And so this aspect of them getting what they deserve, I think of the United States of America and the way that many of the decisions, rules, and so on are going. And I think that uh, these are some of the things that we deserve. The individuals that have been elected into government, they have been elected there and they are bringing us to the point of, you know, we deserve these individuals. Uh, someone asked an individual uh, from Germany, said, how could Hitler have come into rule in Germany? And you have all of this uh, taking place. And he said, the people asked for it. This is, by the way, that they, the individuals that they voted for, the individuals that they brought into power, this is what they were uh, asking for. Okay, so we see some of the... Uh, yes, Grant. Okay, yes, there is millennial uh, implications here. And again, as much prophecy, prophecy has a short-term uh, aspect to it and it has a long-term aspect to it. And so we see the short-term prospect here of what was going to happen very shortly within, the, within that generation. But we also see the implications of millennial kingdom that are uh, taking place here. Yes. Right. Okay. All right. Okay. Right. That's right. And as a geologist, I've been always been interested in this and to see how the Mount of Olives would split apart. And I think that this is naturally very possible because of the fact that it is sitting right on a old, old fracture line. And uh, this is why you have the Jordan Valley, the Dead Sea, down so deep that whole area sunk at some time in the past, and so the 
line that goes through there is very close to the Mount of Olives. So anyway, we see this, uh, the many implications that we can have here and the many ways in which we can apply this. Okay, we see the aspect of the, uh, I will make Samaria a heap in the open country, a place for planting vineyards. I will pour down her stones into the valley and uncover her foundation. So where had Samaria been built? From this little reference here. This is an easy question. Where it had been been built? Topographically. Pardon? On top of a hill. Okay, it was built on top of a hill. I only know that because I was there. Okay, and so anyway... It was built on top of a hill. Most of the cities at that time were built on top of hills. Why? Defense, right. You could see the enemy coming. You were up on top. It's much easier to defeat an enemy when you're above and can shoot down. Uh, Rocks roll downhill a whole lot easier than they roll uphill if you're trying to destroy things. And so... This is going to be destroyed. And uh, now, when we get to Roman times, in Roman times, the and this has nothing to do with Micah, but anyway, in Roman times, the cities were not built on the hill. They were built down in the valleys. Any idea why? Pardon? Okay, that's where the streams and the agriculture was. This was a farming company. Did the Israelites have to worry about invaders during the Roman times? Other than Rome. Okay, this was the Pax Romana. This was the peace of Rome. And so the uh, Israel was in relative peace, and so they didn't have to have their cities on the top of hills. They could have their cities down in the valleys where they were close to their farmlands. So anyway, we see that he was going to be destroying this, was going to be uh, destroyed, and the area which had been cities and fortresses and so on was now going to be uh, land for, for farming, vineyards and other areas. Then we see verses 6 and 7, or 7, all her carved images shall be beaten to pieces, all her wages shall be burned with fire, and all her idols I will lay to waste. From the fee of a prostitute she gathered them, and the fee of a prostitute they shall return. The commentaries that I looked through were arguing with each other and themselves as to just exactly what this last verse means and how this fits. It probably had something to do with they did have the temple prostitutes and they would go on for the, there was a cost to be able to uh, use a temple prostitute, but these were all going to be destroyed and so that the fee of the prostitute eventually would be returned as the temples were destroyed, the gold would be recovered, and all of this type of thing. So anyway, we see this, that the prostitution which was taking place 
with the temples was something that was very egregious. And uh, the Lord Yahweh was trying to show them uh, where their sin was. Verse 8, for this I will lament and wail. I will go stripped and naked. I will make lamentation like the jackals and mourning like the ostriches. For her wound is incurable and it has come to Judah. It has reached to the gate of my people to Jerusalem. So again, we're seeing that things are coming on down to Jerusalem from the northern kingdom, from Samaria. The sin which had been taking place up there was now coming on down to Jerusalem. One of the things that I'm kind of a fan of garage logic. Some of you have followed garage logic, Joe Souchere and so on. And one of his sayings is that the closer you get to the high buildings, the more corrupt things are or something associated with that. All right, it seems that Micah is saying the same thing. As we're getting over to the capital, Jerusalem, Samaria, so on, we're getting into this area. This is where the seat of the, uh, of the uh, sin seems to be. He talks about, I will make lamentation like the jackals. The uh, King James says that, I will lament the lamentable. And so I think that that is, you know, just talks about how sad things are going to be. Okay, then we go on to the next section, uh, starting with verse 10. Um, the style of writing that we have from 10 through, um, basically through 14 is where Micah is taking the names of these towns and he is using the names of these towns to make a point. And so it's, uh, he's making word plays. And so it's kind of like this. If I put it into south, southeastern Minnesota language, Pine Island is the pits, Rochester is rebellious, Good Hugh is good for nothing, and Zambroda has the zits. Uh, so this is kind of the way he is talking, and he is using these towns and the names of these towns to point out the... And if I missed your town in that, I'm sorry. Uh, so anyway, we, uh, he is talking about these various things in this particular style. All of the towns that he mentions from 11 through Four or 15 are in this Shephelah area near Jerusalem. Verse 10, tell it not in Gath, weep not at all. So we have uh, the tell it not in Gath. So he's talking about this destruction that's going to come. And the, the, the name Gath here fits with a Hebrew word for blackout. And I am not going to try and go through all of those things. But anyway, it fits in this. Now, we have something here um, that seems to fit in 2 Samuel. In 2 Samuel chapter uh, 1, verse 20, 
It says, tell it not in Gath, publish it not in the streets of Ashkelon. Let the daughters of the Philistines rejoice, lest the daughters of the uncircumcised exult. Okay, so he uses the same word here, tell it not in Gath. What was not supposed to be told in Gath, according to the Second Samuel narrative? You can look it up. Pardon? Okay. The death of Saul? Okay, not quite. We're close. Right, okay, yes. Okay, right. Don't tell the Philistines about what's happened to us. See, if you have just had a great defeat, you don't want your next foe to find out about this defeat uh, because, well, maybe they'll take you for granted and lose anyway. But anyway, uh, this was the thing that it seems to go back to that. Yes, Eric. Okay, so we have the aspect that the... Uh, one thing that we all agree on is that God did not want this message to go get back to the Philistines. And for the reason, whatever reason it might have been, uh, you can write another commentary on that. So anyway, we have this. That This is why he says, don't tell it to Gath. Then we see the next town that we have in Bethlehaphra, roll yourselves in the dust. Okay, again, the town of Bethlehem, the name there uh, is actually house of dust. Beth is house and of dust. And so it says that they're just supposed to roll themselves in the dust. And so what do you think of when you think of rolling yourself in the dust? Yes, Doug? Okay. All right. Okay. This is not a sign of rejoicing. This is definitely a sign of mourning and that they are supposed to uh, be, uh, that they will mourn because of this. Now, this is one of the areas where in the commentary it talks about that he mixes the feminine and the masculine pronouns here, and they don't really quite understand why. Then we have the next town. Pass on your way, inhabitants of Shafer, uh, in nakedness and shame. Now, Shafer, the term there that we have, kind of rhymes with the Hebrew word for beautiful. And again, don't ask me to substantiate this. I'm just taking other people's word for it. So why would we have this Pass on your way, inhabitants of Schaefer, in nakedness and shame, when Schaefer means beautiful. Okay, if you haven't participated yet, don't be, feel afraid to participate. Okay, a contrast, and that they were considered to be beautiful, but they are going to be 
ugly as they leave. Okay, most of us don't look as good without our clothes on as we do with our clothes on. All right, and so this is the situation that he's talking about here, that they, although the name of their town is beauty, they're going to have to leave their town in, in shame. Then the inhabitants of Zanon do not come out, the lamentation of Bazeel. Okay, so we have uh, Zoman, and the word that we have here is to march out. The inhabitants of Zanon do not come out. The Zanon means to march out, but God says you're not going to march out, probably because of the destruction that's going to take place there with us. And the lamentation of Bezel shall take away from you its standing place. Now, the standing place would be their house of worship, and that is going to be destroyed. It's going to be taken away. Um, let's see. Uh, I'll go through one more verse here. For the inhabitants of Meroth wait anxiously for good, because disaster has come down from the Lord to the gate of Jerusalem. Um, there's Marath. There's an Old Testament, another Old Testament reference to a, uh, an area that sounds fairly close to Marath during the times of Moses. Anybody know what that is? Pardon? Yes. Well, and what is the significance of Mara? Okay, he hit the stone twice, and the situation there was that they didn't have any water, and so Moses got water from this. But what was the water like? Bitter. Marath means bitter. And so we get to this point. It says here that uh, they're down to the gate of Jerusalem. And what that means is that the army has taken all of this other country down to Jerusalem. That's the only city that's left to capture. And when that goes, it's over. All right. Any comments or questions that you have so far? Yes, Gordy. Okay. Okay. All right. Any other comments about this? Everyone can see the judgment that was taking place, and that will also be meted out onto other countries, including the United States. Okay. You are dismissed, and we'll continue on from there uh, next Sunday. Thank you.